Our scripture this morning comes from Matthew, the 14th chapter. It's a story that immediately follows the feeding of the 5,000, where Jesus miraculously feeds a number of people who are listening to him teach. I invite you to listen for God's word as it comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But by this time, the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, he came walking toward them on the sea, But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened and began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, You have little faith. Why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Gracious and loving God, we come to you. We come this morning seeking your wisdom, seeking your guidance and insight. So speak to us now as only a living God can. We pray in the name and for the sake of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. There are at least two kinds of experiences that make God real to us. Beauty does it. When you look at the beauty of a sunrise in the nature's grandeur, or the beauty of a sunset over the ocean and the sand and the cliffs, You hear some magnificent piece of music or the birth of a child. All those things can make God real to us. Beauty has a way of making divine reality so present that sometimes we feel as if we're standing on holy ground. But another kind of experience can make God real to us. Not beauty, but trouble. Desperate trouble can make God real. Some trouble we bring on ourselves, reaping the whirlwind of our own mistakes and misdeeds. But some problems and some trouble comes upon us rather unexpectedly and undeservedly. So much so that we're unable to keep ourselves above the waterline. Divine Involvement, driven from the illusion of our own self-sufficiency, we then reach out in desperation to God, pleading for deliverance. 
The fact of the matter is none of us is spared adversity in our lives. Some years ago, Emily Pearl Kingsley wrote a piece entitled Welcome to Holland. It illustrates how easily we can become disoriented when unexpected things happen to us. In this case, it's the birth of a child with a disability. We've all had to adjust in these recent days to landing somewhere we didn't expect to land at home. The story describes the experience of parenting a child with a disability, and it was written to try and help people who've not shared that experience understand it. This week, Carol Pennington of our congregation reminded me of the story in an email exchange. Emily Pearl Kingsley writes, It's like this. When you're going to have a baby, it's like planning a fabulous vacation trip to Italy. Okay, so that's not a big vacation spot at the moment, but you get my point. You buy a bunch of guidebooks and make your wonderful plans, the Colosseum, the Michelangelo's David, the gondolas in Venice. You may learn some handy phrases in Italian. It's all very exciting. And after months of eager anticipation, the day finally arrives and you pack your bags and off you go. And several hours later, the plane lands. And the flight attendant comes in and says, Welcome to Holland. Holland, you say? What do you mean, Holland? I signed up for Italy. All my life I've dreamed of going to Italy. But there's been a change in the flight plan. They've landed in Holland, and there you must stay. So you have to go out and buy new guidebooks, and you must learn a whole new language, and you will meet a whole new group of people that you've never met before. It's just a different place. It's slower paced than Italy, less flashy than Italy. But after you've been there for a while and you catch your breath and you look around, you begin to notice that Holland has windmills. And Holland has tulips. Holland even has Rembrandts. But everyone you know is coming and going from Italy, and they're all bragging about what a wonderful time they've had there. And for the rest of your life, you will say, yes, that's where I was supposed to go. That's what I had planned. And the pain of that will never, ever, ever go away because the loss of that dream is very significant loss indeed. And then Kingsley concludes her piece writing, but if you spend your life mourning the fact that you didn't get to go to Italy, you may never be free to enjoy the very special and the very lovely things about Holland. End quote. Over 56 million people in the United States have a disability. And the needs of many of them, especially the need for corporate worship, go unmet because of barriers. Those barriers include architectural impediments like stairs and doors and communication barriers like sound amplification, large print, good lighting. But the most significant barriers are attitudinal. 
the way we treat one another, the way we interact with people who have a disability. One of the benefits of this online worship here is that we've removed a bunch of barriers for people to participate in worship. So I want to welcome those of you who are worshiping with us because we've overcome these barriers. None of us is spared adversity in life. The human experience often involves the struggle to stay above our circumstances. We can feel lost in a sea of uncertainty. We may be struggling with uncertainty about the future or regrets about the past. We may struggle with grief from some enormous loss that we think like a cloud will just never lift or from loneliness that will never go away. We may worry about our finances, wondering if they will last as long as we do. We may worry about our health. And we can live with a feeling that our circumstances are just about to overwhelm us. Every day can feel like a struggle just to keep our heads above water. Now, occasionally when I'm channel surfing on the television, I've come across this show on the Weather Channel called Storm Stories. Dramatic video of people caught in nature's most violent storms is apparently uh, entertaining enough so that they've made a show out of it. And usually you see footage of some reporter out there in a gale-forced wind with signs and trees and rooftops blowing by them. Well, the Bible has storm stories as well. And the most famous of those is Noah's Ark. But remember Jonah? He was the one who was running from God and his responsibilities in Nineveh, only to find himself caught in this frightening storm at sea. And finally, he's dumped overboard by his shipmates just to quiet the storm. For both Noah and Jonah, the storm is God's anger unleashed. Those storm stories are different than this one in Matthew. In Jonah, as soon as the crew throws him overboard, the storm's quieted. And somehow, like Jonah, I think we sometimes tend to think that the storms arise in our lives because we've done something to bring them on. Sometimes we do, but it has little to do with God's anger. When difficulties arise, we wonder what we did wrong to anger God. Because we want to believe that we're actually in control of our lives and all that affects them. We sometimes wrongly think that we're at fault somehow. And if we can just get it right, then the fury will cease and our health will return and the winds of grief and sorrow and loss will finally be quieted. The fact of the matter is, some storms are just not about you. They affect you, but they're not about you. So today's storm story in Matthew places the disciples in a boat, but they're not straining against an angry storm of God. The disciples are obediently rowing through the night on the other side of the lake, just as Jesus instructed them. And while they're doing so, this storm unleashes with a fury that threatens to capsize them. 
And while they're doing so, Jesus is not very far off. Not unaware of their trouble, he comes to them in such an unexpected way that it leaves them absolutely terrified. When we're frightened beyond all telling, we may just find the Lord comes towards us as well. And it may just be in the most unexpected and the most surprising way. Now, many of the commentators on this passage spend a great deal of effort to try and explain the miracle of Jesus walking on the water. Some have suggested it was really only a shallow shoal that Jesus was walking upon. And there are other fanciful descriptions of some ordinary explanation for the extraordinary story in the New Testament. But the real miracle of this story is captured in these words. Jesus came toward them. Take heart, it is I. Don't be afraid. For Dr. Dale Bruner, that's the point that's being made. That's the same one who was speaking with Moses when he asked, who should I say is sending me? And God said, tell him, I am sent you. It is I. John's gospel has that same construction when he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the one who is. We're not spared life's storms by our faith. But it's not the storms without but the decay within that topples the tree. And we can be spared that kind of ruin by how we choose to live our lives and by the power that we choose to obey. Like the disciples in that boat, disciples throughout history have been straining at the oars of life, tossed about like a rowboat on a storm-ravaged sea. Churches like ours today are wondering whether they're going to survive the financial storms and the ideological ones that beset them. And it's an enduring image of the church. Disciples huddled together in a small boat in the midst of a storm, straining against terrible odds, hoping that they'll be rescued by their Lord. And then completely frightened when they are. The climax of the story really is when Peter makes an unusual request. I love the spirit of that request. Peter wants to see what is still possible in the present moment. Too often we spend time fretting about the past or we worry about the future and we fail to see what's possible in the present. Obstacles can become opportunities. So Peter has the courage to try something new, to explore what's yet possible. That's the spirit that leads to every kind of new discovery in medicine and in space exploration, in technology, and in almost every other field of inquiry. You have to be willing to fail and not be afraid of failing. 
So like us, Peter is full of feats and failures, full of belief and unbelief. But he's willing to try something he's never tried before in the present moment at the command of Jesus. Come. This week in a recent communication from the executive presbyter of San Gabriel Presbytery, Wendy Tajima, she commented upon the value of disruption in the tech world in Silicon Valley. Now, Wendy previously worked for Apple. She wrote, disruption is the flip side of breakthrough. And we all know how breakthroughs in technology have impacted our lives in so many ways. The fact that you're watching me here now is simply an example of the changes that have been brought about by disruption. She went on to write, another lesson from her days in Silicon Valley is the value of failure, the flip side of learning and creativity. In pursuit of breakthroughs, mistakes get made and clumsy early examples of new technology are celebrated because they help us learn and adjust and refine rough ideas into something that many of us can use. End quote. So you see this disruption in the present moment allows Peter to have the courage to step out of the boat but then he begins to lose his nerve when he looks at the danger around him. Overwhelmed by his circumstances, he finds himself sinking in the midst of a storm that he cannot control. Taking his eyes off of Jesus, he allows fear to rise within him. Now fear is simply false evidence appearing real. Danger is real, but fear is in our imagination. It causes us to worry about things that don't exist in the present, and they may never exist. Danger is real, but fear is a choice. Now, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's analysis of Peter's response is classic. He writes these words, Peter had to leave the ship and risk his life on the sea in order to learn both his own weakness and the almighty power of his Lord. If Peter had not taken that risk, he would never have learned the meaning of faith because the road to faith passes through obedience to the call of Jesus. And unless a definite step is demanded, the call vanishes into thin air. And if people imagine that they can follow Jesus without taking this step, they're deluding themselves like fanatics, end quote. So do you feel overwhelmed by the circumstances of your life today? This is a story of the faithful follower of Jesus who nevertheless became overwhelmed by circumstances and he begins to sink beneath his own fear and despair. And it's a story about Jesus, about finding Jesus and in him the steadying and delivering hand of God that rescues us and stills the storm 
And then who turns to his disciples then and now and says, Oh, ye of little faith, why did you doubt? And the story concludes, those in the boat worshipped him. Fear is a choice. Don't let it determine the outcome. Trust in God, trust also in me, says the Lord. Take a step. If you imagine you can follow Jesus without taking a step in his direction, then you're deluding yourself. One can never predict how the Lord is going to intervene, but we can know with assurance that while we are rowing for all we're worth, that our desperate situation is not unknown to God. So set the sail of your soul and keep your eyes and ears open because Jesus is coming to our boat in the most unimaginable way with a steadying hand and an unwavering resolve to rescue you. Isaiah put it this way. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. So take heart, says the Lord. It is I. Do not be afraid. Jesus will secure your faltering faith and your life too. And I can't tell you how glad I am that we're in this boat together. Thanks be to God. Amen.